0: Would please take your Bibles and be opening to the book of Matthew chapter 14. I'll be reading from there. The lesson I want to say thank you. Thank you for inviting me. my wife to be here. It's been a long time. Uh, Greg mentioned some of the old timers. It's good to see you. I'm there with you, I feel your pain. I can remember when I first moved here from Okeechobee, Florida, to preach in Columbia that we were worshiping at the old Taylor Street Church, and we built this building over there and moved into it later on that year. Willard Dean obviously remembers that, and Brother Jimmy Thomas used to preach at Taylor Street. I want to thank the Meads and Gordon and Diane and Penny for your hospitality. It's great to spend some time with you this, this evening and all. Thank Greg, thank you for getting the outlines made up. Thank the church here for for doing that. I'm going to cover a lot of material tonight, and uh, I'm not going to cover the details that are in those outlines, so you can take those back with you and, and read those and study those in your own leisure. When Greg contacted me and asked me to come here for the meeting, I was excited very excited and looking forward to this this opportunity and I told Greg I said it gives me an excuse to put together this sermon and I've had the ideas and thoughts of it for a long time and just have never sat down and taken the opportunity to put the lesson together so that's what you have in front of you and uh, I'm going to go ahead and get into that. So I think the outlines have been passed passed out. I appreciate the people who were, the young men who were just passing those out. And it's a, a great service you guys do in providing these lessons over the internet. That's just a fantastic thing. I have a radio program and the radio station uh, puts our program on their website and we have brethren in other countries who are able to tune in to our radio program and I know what a benefit that is to to them and so I, I just commend you for for doing that work. Let me tell you the background behind this lesson if I can go ahead and 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 get in into this uh lesson. Uh you see the picture of the book in front of me on, on the uh the screen. Uh, that's Jeff Strucker, That's not me. I just wish I looked half that good. Uh, he's, he's a lot better-looking person than, than I am. Good man and all. Uh, back several years ago, our youngest daughter was graduating from Western Kentucky University, and that happened about the same time as our anniversary. So Carlin bought me this book. This is the actual copy of the book. She, she gave it to me for our anniversary present. And while she and Paige were out running around in the mall that weekend, I sat in a hotel and read the book. Uh, once I picked it up and started reading it, I, I couldn't put it down. Uh, Jeff Struker at that time was a captain. He would go on to be promoted to a, a major. He was a U.S. Army Ranger. He was an elite soldier before he became an Army chaplain. And after reading the book, I wanted to reach out. To Jeff and let me let me give you some background information why I worked for a, a Bridgestone just retired from them and had responsibilities for a program called principle-centered leadership for our company and our company was going through a lot of turmoil at that time uh, people were coming to work literally scared every day because they didn't know if the plant or plants are going to shut down people are going to lose jobs there are going to be layoffs et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was just a lot of fear within uh, our company. And the reason why I wanted to reach out to Jeff is because he was serving then as an Army chaplain, and his responsibility was to travel to Iraq and Afghanistan primarily where uh, we had uh, our soldiers who were in harm's way And he was counseling young people to try to help them overcome their fear. And you think about what they face every day in in combat situations. And I said to myself, if he can go to places like that and he can work with young people to help them get over their fear, and face the things that they were facing, then he would have a message that would be good for our employees to use. So I I made some contacts. I eventually found somebody who, who knew him through some Army contact, military contacts I had, and I said, listen, I know you can't give me his cell phone number. It wouldn't be nice for you to do that. But here's my cell phone. Here's my office phone. Here's my email. If you see Jeff giving my information... And please ask him to contact me, and here's why I'm wanting to talk to him. Well, it wasn't too long after that I got a phone call, <laughs> and it was Jeff. He answered the phone. This is Captain Struker. I understand you're looking for me. So we, we struck up a conversation, and we actually struck up a converse, uh, a friendship that's carried on for a few years now, and we used uh, Jeff on at least three different occasions to come and speak to uh, our employees. Let me give you a little bit of of background uh, about him and why he is uh, the inspiration for this lesson to tonight. Um, If you have read or heard of or seen the book or the movie Black Hawk Down, Jeff is one of the people who are characterized in that movie. He was a special elite ranger soldier. What happened was in 1993 the in the country of Somali, Somalia, General Mohammed Farid Adid was leading the rebels at that time. And it was our military's plan to fly in with some helicopters, have some elite soldiers repel down from the helicopters and go into the compound where Adid was and his staff were and to capture them Jeff was going to lead a convoy of Humvees in they would swoop in quickly they would take the capture of and his staff throw them in the back of the Humvees and get out of the city before the Somalis knew what was happening to them and that was important because they were a light force Jeff had three Humvees and about 14 men and that was all he had in his force and that was going to be one, one or two helicopters and a light force there. It, we would find out later on that in the city of Somalia, there were between 50 and 60,000 armed Somali rebels. Well, it didn't go as planned. One of the soldiers that was supposed to rappel down from the helicopter lost his grip or something happened. He fell, fell 70 feet to the pavement below and was injured. And so what was originally going to be a capture mission turned into a rescue mission. So he was given orders to to take the injured soldier and get him out of the city and back to their compound, which was outside of the city, uh, there in uh, Mogadishu. Uh, by that time, the city was awake. The, the The rebels saw what was going on, and they took fire from everywhere. and, and Getting out of the city was was just horrible horrible situation they were taking small arm fire arm automatic fire rocket propelled grenades they were dealing with armored uh, vehicles firing uh, on them from everywhere from every window every corner uh, and all Uh, his top gunner machine gunner was a man by the name of Dominic pillows Uh, he was shot in the head and killed instantly Jeff heard screaming in the back of his Humvee and looked back, and he said it looked like someone took a bucket of red paint and slung it all on the inside of the Humvee. His men were screaming, and he had to calm them down and get them focused back on what they were doing. So they made it out, and they made it back to the compound, and they're breathing a big sigh of relief, and they're just thankful to be alive and to have no more casualties than uh, they did when Jeff received some bad news. His commanding officer came up to him and said, Sergeant Struker, I've got bad news for you. A Black Hawk helicopter has gone down. We need you to get your men, load back up, and go back into the city and try to rescue those who you can. And while Jeff is processing this command, their doctor walked up to him and said, Sergeant, you need to clean out the back of that Humvee before you go back into the city because if you load your men into the Humvee in the condition that it's in now, they will be psychologically irreparably damaged. And so he drives the Humvee around the back. They had no running water. He's got a bucket of water, and he's washing out the Humvee And he's sitting there, and he's looking at Dominic Pillow's blood on him, and he panics. He's terror-stricken, and he's paralyzed by the terror that he had. He's got three light Humvees. He's got 12 or 14 men. He's fixing to go back into a city that's armed with 50,000, 60,000 people who are going to be shooting at him from every direction. It was a suicide mission. He believed that he was going to die. And he believed that he was leading his men to their death, and that was weighing on him. On top of that, his wife was pregnant with their first child. He was scheduled to go home in two weeks. And he thought, I will never see my child. And what's going to happen to my child? What's going to happen to my wife? All these things were going going through his mind, and and he said he was just absolutely terrorized. And he said, "Then a thought went through my mind, and I calmed down because I realized that one of two things was going to happen: either we're going to go on this mission and be successful, and I would get to go home and be with my wife, or I would get killed." And I would go and be home with the Lord. And he said, I calmed down. Well, they went on the mission. And after the mission, soldiers and officers were coming up to me and saying, Jeff, how is it that you were different than everybody else? Because on the mission, the, the chatter coming over the radio, everybody was screaming. Everybody was in panic. Yours was the only voice of calm and and reason. What was what what's, what what's different about you? And he had to explain to them that it was his faith in Jesus Christ. And what a great song we sang just before I got up. Christ's love is all I need. Thank you for leading that way. That was I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was a, that was a good song for us to lead. Think about his story of courage is under fire is inspiration for this lesson. I'm going to come back to this here in just a little bit. But if you have your Bibles open, let's read from Matthew chapter 14, a situation with our disciples. The Lord's disciples. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 24. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Fear is a common emotional response to many of life's circumstances. It is the subject of much discussion in the Bible. And it's also the subject of a lot of self-help material that's out there. If you go on the internet and you start searching in some of this stuff and you find that it's out there and a lot of seminars that people have about how to relieve anxiety and take worry out of your life. And you can just go and you can see some of the videos that are out there on YouTube and the other Places. So it's, 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 it's a subject that is heavily discussed. And I want us to spend some time talking about this subject of fear and the response of faith that's offered in the Scripture as an answer. But I want to talk about fear first. What is fear? When you look up some of the synonyms of fear, it's amazing how many there are. I have some listed in your outline, terror, terror. Fright, horror, alarm, panic, agitation, dread, dismay. goes on neurosis, mania, scared, terrified, etc., etc. Man's fascination with fear is amazing. Just witness the number of people who this month will be flocking to haunted houses or watching horror movies. In the scriptures... The New Testament, the Koine Greek, the Greek word phobos first had meaning of flight, then that which is caused by being scared, then that which is caused flight. There are a number of Greek words that are translated fear in our New Testament, according to Vine's Dictionary. Now, this is significant. Why do I say that? Well, when you look at the Koine Greek, there were only 5,437 words total. And when you see that many words devoted to this one, that's pretty significant, especially when you consider in the English language there are 171,000 words. So there weren't a lot of words that they had to play around with whenever the New Testament Koine Greek was written. And for them to spend that many words on this one subject is significant. Dictionary.com just defined fear as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. I'm going to come back to that definition later in our lesson. But let's look at the scriptures. Well, I think one of the unique things, and first things we need to point out about this subject of fear and how it's used and discussed in the Scripture is with regard to our enemy, and that's Satan, because it's one of his tools. It's one of his weapons that he uses to control mankind. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now look at verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear is one of the ways that Satan uses to control and keep people in bondage. It is his intent to keep man in fear his entire life. It's important, therefore, for us to study so we can learn how to defend ourselves against the attacks of Satan. There are many sources of fear or anxiety. Crime, evil, loss of job and income, failure, Injury, sickness, loss of health, loss of life, loneliness, abandonment, loss of loved ones, persecution, etc. But when we look in the scriptures on this subject of fear, it appears on on a, a superficial reading or superficial study that there's a contradiction, that there's some conflicted language. And I want to talk about reconciling that for a moment because I've had discussions, and probably you have too, maybe with some of your friends or co-workers, and you talk to them about, or maybe you get around to talking about the fear of the Lord. In general, I have somebody, when I talk about that, they'll throw this expression up in my face. They'll say, you know, Keith, perfect love cast out fear. We're not supposed to fear God or have any fear of the Lord. And if you had perfect love, you wouldn't fear the Lord. And I can understand how people would come to that conclusion based on the language that we see in the Scriptures. I'm not saying the conclusion is correct, but I can understand how they could come to that. Because we do see in the scriptures some things the Bible tells us that we have help in dealing with when it comes to fear. One of those is persecution from our fellow man. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, the disciples had shut themselves inside after the the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus because there was the fear of the Jews. They were afraid. And it was interesting to notice is that when Jesus comes to them and appears to them, he says, Peace be unto you. Reminds you of when he was walking on the water earlier and he told them to not be afraid. So there's fear of persecution. That's genuine. Fear of want. We're talking, the Bible talks about that and how the Lord is there to help us deal with that. Fear of nature. We sometimes worry when tornadoes come through this part of the country brings people a sense of fear, uncertainty, failure and death. The Bible gives us help and comfort and assurance in all of these things. But at the same time, on the other hand, there are things the Bible tells us that we are to have a proper sense of fear, and sometimes that's translated reverence for we're obviously to fear god i mean we're told very emphatically and positively to fear god fear don't fear the one that can destroy the just the body destroy the one i mean fear the one that can destroy both the body and soul and hell we were told that up front there's a fear of the judgment hebrews chapter 10 There's a fear of just missing heaven. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, I want to read that verse. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. One thing I'm afraid that too many people are not afraid of, and they should be, is not handling God's word correctly. We should be afraid when we're handling God's Word to make sure that we're not handling God's Word in a way that's inappropriate or it's just downright false. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, a passage of Scripture, I'm sure you've heard quoted in your hearing many times to emphasize the need to be able to answer people who ask us a reason for the hope that's in us but let's look at the whole verse because I want to pick up on the word fear that's in that verse, especially in the King James Version. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we see those things. Paul, when he talked to the brethren at Rome, talked about the government and the need to render to them the, spectre, the appropriate respect and reverence for their position and tribute and taxes and everything that he suggests there that is due government. And then he also says, Fear unto who fear. So there should be a proper fear for the government. Servants in Ephesians 6 and verse 5 and 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18 are told to serve their masters with fear. Again, positive. Paul, when he wrote to the young preacher, Timothy, talking about elders, he says, them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. And therefore the fear of rebuke. So we see the scriptures telling us don't be anxious, don't have fear. God's there to support you. You don't need to fear these things. But then we see the scriptures on the other hands telling us there are some things for which we should fear. Well, how do we reconcile that apparent contradiction or this conflicted language? How do we reconcile this perfect love that cast out fear? 1 John 4 18. The American Standard Version of Matthew 6 and verse 25 says, Be anxious for nothing. Be Be not anxious for your life. With passages that express positively things that we are to fear. I want to suggest to you that the way, at least this helped me, when we were doing this study, I started off doing this study thinking I was going to end up in one place and end up in another by the time I got through studying the scriptures. But something that helped me was in distinguishing between the godly and the ungodly in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 the writer there mentions godly fear well if something can be godly the opposite of that would be ungodly you got godly fear you could have ungodly fear we can understand that from the standpoint of 2nd Corinthians 7 and verse 10 which talks about godly sorrow we talk about people do people really have godly sorrow or they just sorry they got caught Godly sorrow versus ungodly. Paul told the brethren at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, he was jealous of them with a godly jealousy. Somebody said, you should never be jealous. Well, Paul said he had godly jealousy. Can there be godly versus the ungodly? And if we can understand godly jealousy versus ungodly jealousy and godly sorrow versus ungodly sorrow, can we believe and understand that there's a sense where there is godly Fear, when the Scriptures tells us that it is, versus ungodly fear. And if that doesn't help, then let's look at a couple of examples, if you will, with me. The first is our Lord. In Hebrews chapter 5, and I want to look at three or four passages of Scripture. I've got them noted in your outline. and I'm going to look at all of these this time. Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm going to read verse 7 who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, I know some translations there translate the word fear, piety, or reverence, or godly reverence, etc. And I know there's some discussion that goes on back and forth between the scholars and as to what exactly is meant by the word that's translated fear there as we read it here in the King James. But even if you put that aside and you look at the actions that are described of our Lord there and then we're going to look at these other passages of Scripture, I I think we see fear because he talks about strong crying and tears. Strong crying and tears. Now, let's go back to earlier in the New Testament to the Gospels and let's look at the passages, of, some passages of Scripture that reflect what the writer in Hebrews is saying. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 12. <clears throat> John chapter 12, and we're going to look to begin with in verse 27. Now, this is Jesus talking. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this hour came I into this. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Now this is Jesus' discussion with his disciples. He's talking about what he is about to experience. And we know that when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, that three times he went aside and he prayed to the Father. And all three times he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 22. I'm going to begin reading in verse 42. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from the prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Sorrow. Being in agony. What does that word mean? Well, according to Vines, the word agony was used among the Greeks as an alternative to agon, meaning a place of assembly. Then for the contest or games which took place there and then to denote intense emotion, It was more frequently used eventually in this last respect to denote severe emotional strain and anguish. That's the word that's used to describe what our Lord was going through. And I want to suggest something too here for you to to think about and to consider at this moment. Obviously knowing what we know when we look back historically and scripturally of the account of the passion of our Lord, what he endured physically and the emotional aspects that would be attached just to the the physical torture and then the crucifixion, knowing that that was what was ahead of him would be enough in and of and by itself to bring about this severe emotional strain and anguish, this fear that our Lord had, and understanding that reason why he asked his Father to take this from me. But here's what I want you to think about. Our Lord is a spiritual being. And there is a level of suffering that you and I could never understand that he went through during the Passion. God is pure and holy, and sin is so repugnant to God, it grieves him, etc., as we read in the Scriptures. The pain of the physical pain, yes, we think about that, but have you thought about the spiritual pain our Lord endured when He bore the weight of the sin of the world? All of the sins of mankind, the spiritual suffering, the suffering at a spiritual level that our Lord went through, we can't can't relate to that because we can't do that. The battle of wills between Christ and the devil during the Passion was intense. And was Satan going to try his best? Satan was going to try his best through the physical nature of our Lord to break him down and to wear him down, to maybe get him to a point where during the time that Satan tempted him, you remember, bow down and worship me. Jesus would see himself forsaken by the Father and be tempted to bow down and worship the devil. There was a lot going on there. The likes of which we cannot understand. But we see our Lord and the anguish and the things that he went through. The very real intense emotional strain that he endured. Let's look at another example. The Apostle Paul. Book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Someone said, well, now what did the Apostle Paul have to be afraid of? Well, just turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime in verses 23 through 28 and read some of the things that Paul endured as a preacher. And he says, on top of all of that, was the care for all the churches. That's how it's rendered in the King James Version. The American Standard Version renders the word anxiety. Oh, yes, Paul was anxious and he feared. But his fear, this is the point, was not to the point of despair. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. We're troubled on every side yet not distressed, we are perplexed, but not in despair. I think that's key. It would appear from these passages of scriptures and biblical disasters that there is a kind of fear or anxiety we are warned against. At the same time, there is a kind of fear or anxiety that is indeed appropriate. Therefore, it's not a matter of a choice between love or fear. The two are not diametrically opposed to each other. There is that which is godly, that is, appropriate and acceptable, and that which is ungodly, not appropriate or acceptable. When it gets right down to it, folks, here's what what we have. Fear and feelings. Fear is a feeling. When we look at our definition of fear, let's go back to that. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, pain, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined, The feeling or condition of being afraid. So fear is an emotional response. It's a feeling to either real or perceived circumstance. It's a very real emotion, even though the source may be not. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a gospel preacher. We have... We're not here to study a lesson from Doctor Field, but rather to learn from the great physician Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, how do we deal with any situation that affects our feelings in a negative way? For example, if you feel cold, if you feel cold, what do you do? Well, you can put on some warmer clothing to insulate yourself from the cold. You could turn up the heat or change the environment to eliminate the cold. If you're outside, you can go inside. It is you can leave or move physically to another place to escape the cold. You can learn to adapt, tough it out, suck it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and learn to accept and live with the code. Now, these are all the kinds of interventions or actions that people can take when dealing with situations that affect their feelings negatively. Unfortunately, folks... When it comes to emotional feelings such as fear, some people choose interventions or actions that are spiritually wrong, like a drug addict turning to drugs or an alcoholic turning to alcohol, some form of insulation, or leaving a bad marriage relationship or indulging in pornography or some adulterous relationship. Many people turn to psychological responses for solutions that do not help them and i'm afraid that too many treat god jesus christ and the bible and the things of god in the same way that a drug addict treats their drugs or an alcoholic treats their alcohol now enough about fear our subject matter is faith the road to unafraid so let's focus on the subject of faith with our time remaining if we My faith, the road to unafraid. Now, there's a lot of source information. Like I said, if you go out there and you look at some of these, what I call call them self-help priests. You see them on the TV. I'm sure you've seen some of these same people or you see them on their uh, their Internet uh, sites. Joyce Meyer, one of the famous ones. She has a faith boot camp in which she suggests that fear is the opposite of faith. Rick Warren of the Saddleback Ministries, he has an online video, and I I watched about as much of it as I could stomach, but anyway, it's out there. It's called Replacing Fear with Faith. Even Max Licata, whose work is used by many churches of Christ, has a book entitled Anxious for Nothing. And if you look at the table contents of his book, and some of these self-help prophets and what they offer to reduce the problem of faith and dealing with faith and anxiety and the set of formulas that they offer and these suggestions that they offer. You'll see what I'm talking about. I've included a copy of this table of contents there in your outline. I read one article, and the title of this article was this. The author explicitly said, quote, It is a sin to worry, end quote. And I read that and I looked at that and said, well, that's just great. Now some have compounded the problem by adding guilt on top of the things that people are already anxious, already fear about. I've had discussions with brethren before who were dealing with real problems in their life. And in talking with them, they start apologizing to me. They say, Brother Keith, I just feel so bad. I know I, as a Christian, I shouldn't be worried. Or I shouldn't be afraid about, about that. And, and I, I'm, just, I'm just not, my faith is just not where it should be. And so they feel guilty for having feelings that are perfectly natural and under many circumstances Normal. Now, there may be some useful information in some of these self-help books and materials, but they come up short. If the main focus is simply to, quote, replace fear with faith, end quote, or worse yet, try to scold and shame people so that they do not find help for the very real emotions they are experiencing. So then... Just what role does faith have? You know, we can talk about all the things the Bible says to do and believe and all the things the Bible says about the care of the Lord for us, be anxious for nothing, cast your care upon on Him, He will never leave or forsake you, etc. Yet if we treat these principles rather, I'm going to stop on pause here for just a moment because I want this point to sink in. If we treat these principles the same way we treat the medicine bottle when we have a headache, we've missed the mark. When do you reach for the medicine bottle? When you have the headache. Or you, or you feel the headache coming on. And not till then. And I'm afraid that that's the way many of us as Christians are doing God and Christ and the things of God in our relationship with Him that we're waiting till something's going on in our lives where we really need God's help. Now, let me say this, because I don't want people feeling guilty. (laughs) I'm glad for people who have some event in their life that opens their eyes and gets them to see their need for doing something about their life. It's called seeing the need, S-E-E. And S-E-E stands for significant emotional event. And that may be if somebody has a heart attack and wakes them up and realizes, ooh, I need to do something about my life. And I'm glad for that. And I'm glad I have chances to, to talk with people in those situations. And hopefully it becomes a turning around time in their life. But unfortunately, brethren, I think that that's what's happened with too many people and maybe too many of us. When we look at the people in the Bible, the heroes of faith, who are held up to us as our examples, what do we see? We see people who, quote, walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Walk means a way of life. It was their way of living. Their faith was there at all times not just during the critical times. When we look at the examples of the people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 33 through 40, those heroes and the things that they endured and were able to endure those things because they had a daily walk with the Lord. From their lives, we learn that the reason that their faith was there during the bad times was because their faith was there during the good times. It's always there at all times and in all aspects of their lives. They had a living faith. James describes a dead faith in James chapter 2 and verse 17. The opposite of as a living faith. So to not have a dead faith, we need to follow the instructions that James gives us. We need to grow our faith and our relationship with the Lord when the times are good. So that when bad times come, and they will come, Our faith is able to help us to do what needs to be done. Faith is grown. How does anyone grow their relationship with anyone? Well, it involves communication. God has communicated to you and I. You want to grow your relationship to God, you need to let Him talk to you. And then you need to talk to Him. And you do that in prayer. Study your Scriptures. Study the Bible. Since faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's Word, faith grows by hearing God's Word. It's seen in exercise. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 15, and Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 11, it talks about... Us exercising ourselves spiritually. How does a person grow or get better physically? Well, it involves exercise and all. But I want to come back to our beginning illustration with my friend Jeff Stroker. Because we kind of left that hanging there, didn't we? I want to give you some words that he said that maybe will be helpful to understand this point that we're making tonight. When he got the Humvees ready to go back out, he said a young soldier, 19 years old, came up to him and he said, He said this words to a soldier that another soldier should never say. He said, Sergeant, I can't go with you. He said, I'm supposed to go home in two days. And my wife just had our first baby, and I've never seen it. And Jeff looked at him and said, I understand. My wife is pregnant with our first child, and I'm supposed to go home in two weeks. But I need every man I can get. However, if you want to stay back here in the compound and not go, I won't hold you against you, and I can assure you that no one else will hold that against you. And then he said this, and it's in your outline. The difference between the hero and the coward is not fear. It's what you do when you are afraid that makes the difference, end quote. Faith did not take away his fear of dying. His concern for his wife, and unborn child, or his fear that he was possibly leading his men to their certain deaths on what was considered a suicide mission. What faith did for him, though, was (coughs) gave him the courage to put aside his fear to do the job that was in front of him. Now, before I leave this point, I want to kind of give you Paul Harvey's rest of the story here, if I might. After Jeff talked to this young man, he walked off. If you've seen the movie, you might see one point where he goes and he gets in the front Humvee and he closes the door and it shows him looking back in the rearview mirror. And I talked with him. I had one-on-one conversations. And and this is what Jeff said to me one time. He said, Keith, He said, I watched in the rearview mirror and that young man, I'm going to have a hard time not cheering up about this. He said, that young man did the bravest thing I've ever seen a soldier in a combat situation do. He said, I watched in the mirror and he said, the young man bowed his head. I think you and I know what he was doing in that moment. He said after about a minute, he raised his head, reached over, picked up his helmet, put it on, picked up his flak jacket, put it on, picked up his weapon, and climbed into the back of the last Humvee as it was rolling out. Now, folks, I want to make this comment. When we talk about denigrating young people, there are some young people like this young man Who pick up a weapon and stand a post at night in the dreariness of night. Some of the most lonely situations in the world. And they tell the enemies of our country, not on my watch. Not on my watch. And you and I sleep each night under the blanket of protection that they provide us. And thank God for them. Thank God for them. courage to face our fears and do our jobs paul found courage when he was being transported to rome to be in prison eventually put to death in a scary situation brethren came and visited him and when he saw them in acts chapter 28 and verse 15 it says he took courage brethren can strengthen you and give you courage during those times and remember that you're not alone and that we are not powerless. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, we read, And was the exceeding greatness of the power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Faith cannot replace fear, faith cannot remove or lessen the impact of the source of our fear. But faith can give us the courage. To face our fears. In conclusion. My brother wrote a song. And recorded it. For breast cancer awareness. And people who are dealing with cancer. Breast cancer whatever. They're dealing with a horrible. Scary. Anxious situation. The title of his song is. Fight like a girl. We made up t-shirts that said. F-L-A-G. It's just for fight like a girl on them. To help support the ladies. Who were dealing with this terrible disease. There are many things in life which are a source of fear and anxiety. The struggle some have mentally and emotionally is real. One of the challenges we all face is to not give in and give over to anxiety. Rather, fight it and fight with all your might. I leave you with the words of Nehemiah. The people of Israel had returned to their homeland. And were trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem when they were confronted by a superior enemy. There's been many times in my life where I've had situations, and I turn over this passage of scripture and I read it. And I find comfort in the words of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has set the various families in their places and the holes that existed in the walls. These people had been in captivity for many years. They were not soldiers or warriors and had no experience in combat. They were merchants, carpenters, metalsmiths, etc., just normal working people. But as Nehemiah surveyed the situation, he could see the people and he could see the fear that they had. And with these words, he encouraged and emboldened them as I do you. Listen. Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses in my 414. May God bless you with strength, courage, and peace as you face and fight the challenges you have in your life. And may faith truly be the road to unafraid. If there's anyone here this evening who's not submitted their life to the Lord, and we can assist you in obeying the Lord by asking you to repent and be baptized, confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're ready to assist you in doing that. If you'll come to the front and have a seat as we stand and sing these words of encouragement.